Please do feel free to be seated. There is a common saying out there in our English language, familiarity breeds contempt. That saying has been part of the English language at least since the time when Chaucer is noted to have used it back in the 1300s. And it probably goes back a lot further than that in literature, back to Roman times. Familiarity breeds contempt. Our familiarity with the Beatitudes might just be one of those things. It might, when we hear them, fall on deaf ears as they are rattled off one by one. These sayings that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount are so common, so well known to us, that we might just gloss right over them, or worse, downplay them to the point of ignoring them as nothing more than nice biblical drivel. I know that early on in my ministry, I fell into that very trap. In the first parish I served in New York City as an assistant there, freshly minted from seminary, a parishioner's longtime partner had died. Now, I was relatively new to this particular congregation and did not yet know the man or his partner very well. Plans were made for a funeral service, and as part of the clergy team there, I was to be part of that. I learned that he had chosen the Beatitudes reading we hear today as the gospel text, as the gospel for that service. And I was called upon to proclaim the gospel at the funeral. And did so with a bit of dampened enthusiasm for the task. Of all the glorious choices he could have made from scripture, why this one? Why this rather simplistic, saccharine text, I thought. I dutifully proceeded down the aisle and came to a position there about the center of the congregation. And it was there that I was within eyeshot of the surviving widower. I began to proclaim the gospel. I read the text, and it was then, standing there, looking out at the people in the pews, and in particular, at that man, that something powerful came over me when I got to the line. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. These seemingly stale words to me took new meaning on in that very moment. They stood as a reassurance that God was there in the midst of our sorrow and shared pain in order to transform it, to provide a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven right there, right in that moment. I realized that these simple words of blessing, Jesus, first teachings delivered to his gathered band of disciples set up something quite powerful for what was to come. 
The writer of the Gospel of Matthew takes great strides to portray Jesus first and foremost as a great teacher, one who comes as a second Moses, you might say, to guide his people to salvation and fulfill all the unfulfilled dreams of Israel. And those teachings start with blessing that turn everything we might expect on its head. The Beatitudes are, when you really look at them, a rather revolutionary way to look at the world, God's place in it, and God's place in our lives and the lives of all God's children. And in this season of Epiphany, the Beatitudes are a call to action, to point out for us just who Jesus really is, the very embodiment of all those virtues. Perhaps that's not the Jesus you may want, but definitely the Jesus that tells you the truth about yourself. The Jesus who reminds you sometimes in the most inconvenient ways and at the most inconvenient moments, what exactly the kingdom of heaven is all about and where your place is in that kingdom. In many ways, the Beatitudes are a call to action to be church, a call to action to make Jesus present and visible when the world tries desperately to silence those who speak this revolutionary truth that Jesus has come to deliver. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, Martin Luther King quite rightly observed, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And he goes on to say, if today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning. It's a powerful reminder that all of us collectively have a mission in what the Beatitudes so fully proclaim. But that mission is also personal because we know so well that to be human is to be broken. The Beatitudes remind us of that central fact. And when we meet ourselves in brokenness, whether that be poverty of spirit, hunger or mourning, and vulnerability, putting aside the ways of violence for the pathways of peace, we just then might be able to experience the power and presence of God mediated through our common life together in Christian community. Maybe that is what true blessing is, 
the blessings that you and I all share now in Christ. Drawing together as the family of God, seeing each other as God's beloved children, meeting each other at the points of our very brokenness, and conveying to each other our and God's promise of regard, presence, accompaniment, and above all, worth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, blessed are those who are reviled. Each of these nine statements deserves to be delved into individually, made real as we take them on as challenges to living life faithfully and living life with a great sense of hope. As people of God, we are invited to consider what it means to live according to this beatific vision that is, if we're ready and willing to pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. If we are, then we place ourselves in a position to share in the countless blessings God has promised to provide. And we, too, can become very agents of that blessing. Amen. Amen.